Psalm 51 is where we'll be this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. I'm thankful for Gordon reading Psalm 23. And I hope uh, those are truths that you don't just go by because it's Psalm 23, that most of you probably even have it memorized if you grew up in the church. As he said, um, even unbelievers, many know that psalm, especially from a past generation. Uh, this past uh, couple days ago, we had an individual at our church or associated with our church that passed away. And as he was on hospice, unable to really communicate, uh, his body was failing and me and another pastor had the privilege of meeting with his family, and the only thing I could think of was reading Psalm 23 to him, thinking that maybe, and this was an individual, I wasn't sure if he knew the Lord or not, but able to read a psalm that's familiar, trusting that God by his spirit can use those familiar words to remind him that God is a shepherd, and of course that he shepherded us most in sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And so familiar words, but important words. Uh, we're going to be this morning in Psalm 51, a psalm of David. Looking at a topic that I often think about, even as I think back to my high school days, I, my favorite sport when I was growing up was basketball. And uh, I played basketball in 9th and 10th grade and then uh, got distracted by other things in high school. But it was, I think it was after my 8th grade year, I attended sort of a basketball refresher camp type thing. And some of you have probably been to one of those. It's go back to the fundamentals. You have three or four days where you show up for about four hours go back to how to dribble, how to shoot properly. And it was an interesting camp. There was probably 20-plus uh, students there, and I felt like all the coaches were focused on me, which you might say, oh, that's great. It actually wasn't that great. They kept tweaking the way I was shooting the basketball. They kept showing me, no, no that's not right. Put your palm this way. Snap it back. I, I'm right-handed, but I shoot with my left. And they were messing with something that I had done for years. I had played basketball for a long time. And it was a, a little strange how they, I felt like all the coaches were putting their attention on me. Then at the end of the camp, I got the, it might be the dreaded award of most improved player, which what's the implication of that? You're most improved because when you came in, you were the worst. That's how I took it, at least. They spent all their time saying, you have everything off, so we're going to correct you, and then we're going to congratulate you for being teachable because everything was wrong. They were changing my habits. They were changing what I was doing wrong fundamentally with basketball. And I'd, again, I'd done that for years. I had a weird shot. It was different than what they thought I should have. And this morning as we look at Psalm 51, and we're not going to look at the entire psalm, there's something that in the Christian life I think we can have that same fear. Your teachers can have the same fear for you. In fact, I can have the same fear for my own life where we can be doing something that is basic to the Christian life and yet, maybe for a long time, we've been doing it wrong, that when we look to the Bible, we need to know the proper way, the, the way that God has told us to practice this important discipline in our lives, and it's the discipline of biblical repentance. Biblical repentance. That's what I want to focus on today. And again, if you have been at this school for any number of months or years, if you have grown up in the church, even been at the church for a small time, you probably have some idea of what repentance is. It's that basic definition of doing a 180-degree turn. It's turning from sin to holiness. It's something that if you're a Christian this morning, if you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, when you were converted, you repented of your sins. You turned from a life of seeking salvation elsewhere, and you turned to Jesus alone as your only hope. 
And yet we would also understand biblically that repentance is something that is a practice all throughout our lives. As Christians, repentance is not a one-time thing that we say, well, I did that when I was six years old. I gave my life to Christ. I repented of my sins. That was then. This is now. I no longer do that. Repentance is how we battle sin. If you have an ongoing sin in your life, the way to deal with it, the process that the Bible would prescribe to you is you need to repent of your sins. You need to deal with them in a proper biblical way. And yet I believe so often for us as Christians, that's a struggle. We've been dealing with sin a certain way for a long time and we think it's okay. And this psalm confronts us. We might be practicing something that's not biblical repentance. For example, you might sin against someone and your solution is, well, if I tell them sorry, all's good. I'll go up and say, hey, I'm sorry about that. I should have done that. Sorry. Walk away. And you think, that's it. I repented. I made up for it. It's fine. Another false way we repent or unbiblical way is we simply try to make up for our sin. We do something. Maybe it's a sin that only God knows of. And we say, God, I'm going to do better next time. I will pay attention in chapel more. I will be better in school. I'll go to church and be more faithful to take notes on Sunday mornings. We seek to make up for our mistakes, and we think that's repentance. Okay, I dealt with that sin, and that's that. Those are not the way we should repent biblically. That is not what we find in Scripture, and that's not what we find in this psalm, Psalm 51. What we see in this psalm is that repentance is something that God produces in His children through His grace Repentance is the result of the Spirit of God producing something divine, something that the world doesn't understand. The world can say, I'm sorry. The world can say, let me make up for it through religious practice. But a Christian is one who can truly feel the weight of sin, and by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, turn from that sin in a way in which they deal with the sin, that they're forgiven of their sins, and walk in continual obedience Psalm 51 is, of course, a psalm of David. I trust many of you know the story. Read the inscription there. If you have that in your Bible, Psalm 51. I have an NASB translation, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. How many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't need to go into a lot of detail. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 deal with it. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the one who was supposed to be that, that king that was righteous and holy. And the worst experience of his life is recorded in 2 Samuel 11, where he steals another man's wife, commits adultery with her, and then he kills her husband, Uriah. Since today that we would say that's shocking, that's scandalous. How could this man ever survive such sin? And what we don't really focus on in scriptures is that David for a year didn't deal with the sin. He sat on his throne. He continued to serve Yahweh, the God of Israel. He continued to make decisions. He didn't deal with the sin. He acted as if nothing was wrong. And as you see here, Nathan is a prophet of God who comes to him and confronts him. David, confronted by the sin, 2 Samuel chapter 12, he confesses and Nathan assures him of God's forgiveness. It's in response to this whole process that David pens this psalm of confession. It's a psalm of repentance. And there's much we learn about the practice of biblical repentance in this psalm. 
We're going to see just a few marks of that in a moment. Let me read this psalm, and it's a little long, but let me read it in its entirety. I want us to feel the weight of Psalm 51 this morning. And then again, we'll make a few observations and look at a few markers of genuine repentance. Listen to this psalm of confession. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. I want to consider mainly the first part of this psalm this morning. As David deals with his sin, as he looks back at his confession and God's forgiveness, and my desire for us, my prayer for myself and for you as students, is that you would understand biblical repentance and then seek it out. That as an old Puritan said, that we this morning would repent of our repentance. That the way we repent, we would repent of that. So three marks, very briefly this morning, of genuine repentance. Number one. And it's obvious from the beginning of this psalm, primarily in verses 1 to 3, number one, a first mark that we see is that a person who is truly biblically repenting of their sin takes responsibility for their sin. Takes responsibility for their sin. We have a hard time with this, don't we? We naturally want to blame someone else every time we are confronted, whether that's our conscience or whether that is directly by someone. We are so used to saying, well, no, 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 it it was them, they did it, it was their fault. We'll either blame another person or circumstances or anything else other than the fact that we ourselves have actually sinned, and we're reluctant to even use that word. In fact, because we don't want to blame ourselves, if we're willing to give even an ounce to ourselves and take some responsibility, we say, well, I made a mistake In other words, I didn't mean to do it, it's not that bad, we minimalize our sin. It's the whole, the devil made me do it idea. We don't see that here in Psalm 51. 
We don't see David saying, well, Bathsheba, God, you know, she's really beautiful. You shouldn't have made me this way. Uriah wasn't a good guy. We don't see that here. We see David owning what he's done. We see David taking responsibility for the sin that he has committed. And we see this in the way he describes his sin. Look down at verses 1 and 2. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to loving kindness. Greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Note there that there are three words used for sin. In verse 1, we see transgression. In verse 2, we see iniquity. At the end of verse 2, we see sin. And note here that David, in all three descriptions, says, My sin, my transgression, my iniquity. These words here are important. The word transgressions refers to willful rebellion. It's a deviation from the path of holiness. It's that God has said, go this way, and you say, no, I'm going this way in rebellion against you. Rebellion is the way you could describe that first word for sin there. Then in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That word is a word where we would understand as perversion. It's the idea of, being, of twisting God's truth. It's, again, God's given you this road to go. You go the other road. God has given you this truth, and you make up a lie. It's a perversion of the truth. It's twisting God's law. And then lastly, here in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, he says, cleanse me from my sin. The word for sin there is where we get that basic definition of missing the mark. You're shooting your arrow at the target, and you're falling short. And yet, when you put all three of these words together, the idea is you're not even aiming for the right target. That's how, that's how the Bible describes sin. David calls sin what it is. It's sin. It's an affront, affront, an offense to God. You could describe it with words like evil, it's wicked, it's rebellion, it's lawless. Let me ask you students this morning, is that how you describe sin in your life? Or do you say, well, it was a mistake, I didn't mean to do it, it wasn't that bad. Sin is worse than you think. Sin is worse than you think. You need to realize that biblically. In fact, for a moment, let me look at a New Testament definition. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. I want to show you, because we might say, well, I could see this from the perspective of David. I mean, he murdered someone. He committed adultery. So, of course, what he did was rebellion. What he did was, was a, a grave offense. But really, I mean, are my smaller sins, are they as bad we need to understand our definition of sin. We need to make sure that we're defining sin properly. And this is key to repentance. Look at 1 John chapter 3 in verse 4. Look how simply John describes sin. He says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. It's rebellion. It's here's God's law, and when we don't live out that law, we are rebelling against the God of the universe. If you go back to Psalm 51, we see David taking full responsibility. He's not saying it's anyone else's fault but his own. It's my transgression, God. It's my iniquity. It's my sin. 
In fact, did you note verse 5? Verse 5 is one of those verses that you might go, I don't, what's he saying there? David even goes so far as to mourn his nature. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. We might read that on the surface and say, well, was David's mom an adulteress? Was his mom, was he conceived out of wedlock type idea? That's not what David's saying here. David's saying that all people from the moment of birth are sinners. We sin because we are sinners by nature. That's what he's saying there, and that's, all, and that's found all throughout Scripture. David is, is mourning the fact of his sinfulness. He's seeing the seriousness of who he is and what he's done, and he's saying, God, my sin is ever before me. My guilt is before me. But David understood what is so essential to repentance is that he needed to take responsibility for what he did. And so he confesses this to God. And that's where we see the joy in this passage. You might look at these first couple of verses here and think, well, this sure is, is a downer. You're telling me I'm a sinner, I'm a, I'm a transgressor, uh, one of iniquity, uh, a sinner by nature, that I was born into this world a sinner. And that's the reality biblically, and that's the reality where we need to begin with repentance. But let me tell you, students, this is a great joy to take responsibility for that. I was once talking to a friend of mine back from when I was in school, and he had fallen into and had a pattern of sin for quite a while that he was hiding. And he finally, after years, got on the phone with me and confessed that he had already taken the proper steps in terms of repentance with others as well. And I remember being so filled with thanksgiving for what he was doing. It was a hard phone call. It wasn't easy for him to call and confess this sin that he'd been hiding for years, and yet I, I tried to reassure him to tell him, you know what, that is the work of God's grace in your life. Because naturally, we want to hide it. We want to conceal sin. We don't want to confess it. And for him, he was going through those difficult first steps of saying, let me confess and tell you everything. This is how I have failed God, and this is how I have failed you. And I tried to reassure him that that was the grace of God in his heart. Do you own your sin? Do you take responsibility for it, or do you blame others and other things for what you should take responsibility for? Number two, and this is where we get to really, I believe, the most important part of this psalm. Number two, genuine repentance relies solely on God for forgiveness. The first step is hard. The first step is confession, ownership. But it's that first step that brings you to the character of God. What we see primarily in verse 4 here of this psalm is that David had a high view of God. When someone has a weak view of God, you have a weak view of sin and you have a weak view of repentance. Your, your repentance tells me something about how you view God. Because if you think that God is sort of like you know, when I, when I let my grand or my parents watch my kids, you know, grandparents have the kids, what happens? They get away with everything, right? So I, my wife and I will go to my parents and say, you know, how are, how are the boys? Perfect. I have three young boys. They were great. They did nothing wrong. We're going, yeah, right. You just didn't care. <laughs> you just, you're grandparents. You just had fun with them. That's what grandparents do. And then we go home and have to deal with it for the next week. If we view God that way, though, that's a problem. Because now we think, well, if I sin, uh, no, I didn't get struck by lightning. It must be okay. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. 
But when we view and remember that biblically God is holy and righteous, he's the creator of the universe, he created us for his glory, we rebelled against him, we are born in sin, then we understand the offense of sin, and then we also understand, and this is so important, we understand that God is the only solution for our sin. When we understand that our sin is primarily against him, then we understand that it's only in him in which we can find forgiveness and cleansing. Look at verse 4, a shocking statement from David. He says, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David, are you missing someone there? You sinned against God alone? You murdered a man. You committed adultery with his wife. I think you owe an apology to Bathsheba. Your eye is dead. It's too late. You've offended a nation. You're the king that should have a better reputation than that. David had sinned against a lot of people, and yet he says here in verse 4, you, you only, I have sinned against God. Why does David say that? Because he understood that first and foremost, his sin was an affront to God. God is holy. God is the creator. God is the judge. God is the lawgiver. God is the ultimate king. And David says, because of that, sin is by nature, it's been described, by nature sin is anti-God. Well, yes, we can say, as the Bible says, I can sin against you, you can sin against me. Ultimately, all sin is primarily against God, first and foremost. And so repentance begins there. Repentance goes first to God. It's vertical, and then it gets to the horizontal. It's primarily first before God. David felt that guilt. As he says again in verse 3, my sin was ever before me. He knew that he was primarily guilty before God. He deserved punishment from God. And yet that's exactly, and this is the great joy here of verse 4, this is why he turns to God for forgiveness. Scan back through verses 1 to 3, David has a confident prayer to God for washing, for forgiveness. He says, be gracious to me, God. God, display your compassion to me. Wash me, cleanse me, God. That's a confident prayer. It's a confident prayer. What David does not do here, and I want you to note this, is that David, because of the weight of his guilt, he does not say, God, I have sinned. It's been against you only. God, I'm going to read my Bible seven times next week to make up for it. God, my attendance at the temple... It's going to be much better. God, I'm going to be a better Christian this week than last. That's not repentance. What David does, knowing the character of God, is he turns to God and says, God, you're my only hope. I have nothing to offer you but my sin. And so he throws himself on the character of God. And that's what those who are genuinely repentant do. They throw themselves on the character of God he says, be gracious to me, God. He says, God, you're gracious. And David would experience that grace. According to the greatness of your compassion, verse 1, God, you're compassionate, you're merciful. I throw myself on your compassion. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. 
Looking back at verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me according to your loving kindness. God's loving kindness is his undying, unending love. David understood that. God had made a covenant with his people. David says, God, the only reason why I know I'm forgiven is because you are gracious, compassionate. You are a God of wonderful, unfailing love. You are the only hope for sinners like me. So the one he had offended is the only one who can remove his guilt. And so David turned to him. And David did experience this confident prayer. He experienced the washing, the blotting out of his transgression, the cleansing from his sin. He was thoroughly cleansed because God is compassionate, merciful, and a God of undying love. You know, it's the same for you and I. That when you feel the weight of guilt because of your sin, and guilt, I'm not saying just the feeling The feeling is because you are truly guilty before God. Listen again from 1 John, 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can God do that? How can God forgive us of our sins? We are so guilty, we are so filthy. And I hope you know the solution. Something that David only knew a little bit about. It's Jesus Christ. God can remain righteous because he sent his son, the great substitute. Because Jesus went to the cross in place of sinners. And so this morning, if you're saying, I am guilty, I feel that before God I have no hope, I would encourage you, student, throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, turn to him. He invites you to come Turn from your sins, understand the beauty of his life, his death, his resurrection, and know for the first time in your life what David says here of having your sin blotted out, washed thoroughly, and cleansed, because it's through Jesus Christ who went on the cross in place of sinners. If you are a Christian and you know your sin today, confess it and trust Christ. Know the promise of the gospel. Don't be unbelieving when it comes to the power of the salvation and the work of Christ. When you say, I don't know where to go, I'm so guilty. Yes, you are. Turn to Christ and know, even if you don't feel forgiven, know that if you place your faith in Him, you are forgiven. Number three, and lastly and, and briefly in this psalm, we'll just make one more observation here. Number three is that those who are genuinely repentant commit to long term obedience. Commit to long-term obedience. And I, I think about this last point. I, 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 again, I'll use the example of uh, my young boys. How many of you in this room like video games? I'm trying to think. Okay, good. A few of you. A few of you are like, you know. My boys love video games. In fact, it's the type of thing where we're like, okay, you can play video games, but we, we have to keep you away from them most days. Uh, they get pretty obsessed with them. They have this uh, system or this game called Disney Infinity. It's where they grab little Disney characters, they put them on the computer thingamajigger. You know, I'm real into this. And uh, they can play those characters. So they can play everything from one of the Avengers to a Star Wars character to Mickey Mouse. And they go into this world where they can create worlds, play bad guys, and they love it. I don't understand it. Uh, To me, it's like there's too much freedom. You're building your own world. I I need you to tell me what to do in that way. But they love to do it, and and what's interesting about it is they can play Iron Man, and they can fly around and get defeated, and and they play these bad guys, and they they get killed if the bad guy's too strong, 
or they have the wrong character, they jump off a building and they basically die because in real life, just so you guys know, if you jump off a skyscraper, you will not live. Just I want you to know that. Well, so for them, they simply go, okay, we'll put a new character on the board or we'll just press continue. You know, it's like any video game. You have extra lives. And I use that example because I think sometimes when we are truly not repentant, we view repentance that way. Ah, oh, man, I blew it again. God, forgive me. And you go on with life. Repentance changes you from the inside out. Remember that repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It, it's a new conviction. It's a, it's a new disposition. It's a new desire for holiness. It's not like a video game where you say, well, you know, I, I tried to jump off the building. I died. I'm just going to get a new character or press continue. No, repentance is the idea of God. You've displayed such grace to me. Now I want to walk in obedience. I do not want to live that way again. Look at David in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. What's David asking for here? He's asking for God to do something that only God can do, and that is to establish his heart in holiness. Creating me a new heart, God, a heart that's forgiven, and a heart that is established in the right direction. I don't want to sit another year in unrepentance. I don't want to sit another year under the guilt and weight of my sin, God. Renew me, verse 10. Give me an established, steadfast spirit of holiness. When he says there, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, he's not saying, Lord, I don't want to lose my salvation. That's not something the Bible, the Bible says that once you're saved, you're saved. What David is saying here is, God, the evidence of your love for me and the evidence of your blessing to me is your spirit, so please don't take your spirit away from me. Please help me to walk in holiness, and I need your spirit to do that. And note here again, he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation, sustain me with a willing spirit. God, I want to be teachable. I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't want to live in sin. God, I want to live in holiness long term. That's what David is committed to do, and that is the evidence of true repentance. The way that we see the fruit in someone's life is that there's now holy habits being developed, not perfection, but holy habits being developed in the life of one who at one time was living in sin. There is visible evidence of repentance in a person's life, and that is the evidence of holy, righteous fruit in one's life. Well, as you can see, there, there's a lot more we could cover in this uh, very rich psalm. There's much here. There's much you could even go into in terms of how to deal with repentance with one another. But for now, this morning... There's a lot we can digest, and I, I would just have you, um, I believe you guys have small groups afterwards, to, to think through what this psalm tells you about the nature of sin, the character of God, and then whether you minimalize that sin. How do you respond when you consider the nature of sin as this psalm describes it, the character of God as David describes it, and then what is your response? Do you respond properly to a biblical understanding of those things? Again, my prayer for us is that we would understand repentance better and that we would, by the grace of God, would seek it out in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time in your word. God, repentance is your grace to us.
And so, Father, I pray for all of us here, teachers, students, myself. Father, I pray that our lives would be characterized by biblical repentance, that we would be dealing with our sins rightly so that we would be killing our sin and as David desired, that we would be walking in holiness. Father, we ask for your grace. Thank you that you've given us your spirit for those who are in Christ. And so, Spirit of God, may we live out the truths that we've meditated on this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.